Welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our October 21st, 2010 edition of the show. 4.06 p.m. on the clock here in Irvine, California. Before we get fully underway, I have a couple of quick reminders for you. First of all, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me email me at rglarson at KUCI.org. You can also catch me on Facebook, facebook.com slash rglarson. Also, uh, podcasts of past shows can be found at uh, KUCI.org slash talk. Just scroll down to Out the Rabbit Hole. Okay, our special guest today was the host of an excellent KUCI show called The Aggressive Moderate. He is now doing his political discussion show elsewhere and can always be counted on to keep it lively insightful and entertaining breaking down the issues of the day he is will bruza will welcome to the show robert thanks for having me it's always great to have you now where are you doing your show now uh am 830 the angels radio station every sunday at seven we do a little political uh, discussion there so uh yeah all right are you still calling it the aggressive moderate no now uh what's called hardline Okay, Hardline. Hardline. AM 8.30? AM 8.30, yep, every Sunday at 7. I've been off for a couple um, weeks because I've been preempted by sports shows. It's basically a sports radio station, but uh, uh, when I'm not preempted, I'm on every Sunday at 7, AM 8.30. All right, and yeah, we get preempted by sports here once in a while, too. Yeah. <laughs> I think you remember that. But All right, so yeah, we've got a lot to talk about today. As uh, everybody who's half alive knows, we've got a... Big election coming up here in the United States, big uh, congressional midterms, and uh, it's rather peculiar. The polling seems to indicate that the Democrats will sort of barely hang on to control of the Senate, and most likely, uh, or at least very likely, at least that's what the polling saying, lose control of the House of Representatives. Uh, because the economy is still struggling and unemployment is terrible, the electorate seem to want to punish Obama and his party because Obama hasn't cleaned up this mess in two years. Uh, moreover, they appear to want to turn it back to, to Bush's party when it was the, their party who got us into this mess. Are, are, yeah, is, it, it, is doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, um, I, I've been seeing the same polls you are. The, the polls I, I generally see are... They, they essentially say, you know, that the the trend is people favor Republicans more in power than they do Democrats. But what what I have, you know, not seen is, you know, kind of the race by race breakdown of who they think, uh, you know, is going to win. You know, RealClearPolitics.com does a pretty fair job, but um, you know, the the a lot of these races are in small, obscure places in the country where they, they don't have a whole lot of polling being done. So I think there's still a lot of things that are up in the air. I mean, the general trends are going the Republican way, that's for sure. But a lot of it, I think, is going to come down to individual races, and people are going to say, well, whether or not I like, you know, whether or not my guy's a Democrat or a Republican, do I like him? I think is going to be, you know, the question they ask themselves. And um, so, you know, I, I, I wouldn't. I don't think the, the Republicans should start measuring the drapes just yet, uh, but certainly, you know, it's trending against um, the, the, the Democrats. And you know, I do see uh, pundits from both sides indicating that there's going to be some Democratic losses in the House, and that the Republicans will most likely uh, have the majority, which is is frightening. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you think about it, because uh, as you said, they got us into this mess. Yeah, and it's if you ask people in the polling that they do, when you ask people about how they feel about specific issues, their their opinions seem to be more in sync with what 
Democrats are wanting to do. Now, there was that poll recently where you said, uh, who would you prefer in charge of uh, Congress? And, and the Republicans did come out a bit ahead there, right? Right. Yeah, and so, I, I, but it, it's not based on exactly any real specifics that they think the Republicans are going to carry out. They just think the country's going in a bad direction right now. And we've had a Democratic president for barely two years and uh, a Democratic Congress uh, for uh, four years. Yeah, well, since about 2006, right? Yeah, and but however, we've talked about this on the show. The Democratic Congress is sort of nominally Democratic because you have so many of these blue dog Democrats who are uh, not really Dinos, <laughs> Democrats in name only, they call them. Right, and they haven't been helping push across really progressive legislation that we would like to see. We've had some semi-progressive legislation. Uh, There's been the, uh, I mean, there's been some really good things in, say, in the health care reform and the Wall Street reform. Could have been a lot better had the Blue Dog Democrats been more in sync with that. But we got some pretty good things passed. Some pretty good things went through. So there seems to be a problem out there, and you and I have talked about this a little bit off the air, that the, the Democrats seem to have a problem with marketing themselves. Yes. And, yeah, I mean, what do you catch on your show? What are people saying on your show in regards well, to I that? Well, I, I get, you know, a lot of conservatives calling in, and, and they're just, you know, sort of in denial. You know, you know here's, here's what I think happened. You know, we, we had this uh, health care debate where, you know, Obama had barely taken office, and you know the initial things he did were just of an emergency nature. I mean, they had to bail out the banks, otherwise we wouldn't have a financial system, and they had to do some kind of stimulus uh, to get the economy going again. And so these are like basic economic lessons we learned from the last depression, when essentially World War II acted as a thirty trillion dollar stimulus. You know, so what Obama was doing was essentially mainstream economics. This is how we deal with a depression one hundred and one. Okay, that's what he was doing. This is nothing out of the ordinary and a lot of people and this may have been a communication problem on obama's part he, he maybe needed to sit down and say listen you all remember in sixth grade history class they talked about how the spending that occurred uh in the uh in world war ii is what got us out of the great depression everybody knows that everybody studied that and then maybe people would understand okay that's why we're doing the stimulus bill that's why we're bailing out the banks because we learned what not to do from the great depression experience but there wasn't, you know, he didn't do a whole lot of that, you know, and he, the guy's a professor, he's a teacher, and I don't understand why that wasn't done more. The other thing is that the noise coming out of the right wing was just, I mean, it was just incredible din that you, it just overwhelmed everyone's senses. Those town hall meetings about the health care, people screaming and shouting, you know, I, I think what it is, you have this very vocal, lunatic fringe on the far right, and they scream and yell so loud that it kind of just overpowers everything else. And, you know, then, of course, you have Fox News, which acts as the megaphone for all of that silly noise. And I really think the, the Democrats have been overwhelmed by this noise from, you know, a small few. And it's kind of caused a lot of folks who were maybe wobbly to begin with just to, just to take the, you know, the path of least resistance and kind of give up on, you know, on health care, for instance. Well, I'm thinking, you know, you mentioned that. Why, why didn't uh, Obama get out there and say, this is just basic things you do uh, in uh, a depression-type situation? And it may be that Obama and his people just underestimated or maybe overestimated the, the American mind out there and just thought, well, you, this is self-evident. This is what you do. We don't need to explain this. And just did not, and, and really underestimated that crazy wave of uh, insanity coming from the right-wing echo chamber and the uh, Fox News and all of that. Yeah, you know, here's the thing, and one of the ironies is that Obama, when he came aboard, the first thing he said is no investigations. We're not going to do investigations because, you know, obviously there was a lot of, you know, malfeasance, a lot, I mean, just a lot of high crimes and misdemeanors committed under the Bush administration, from lying about the war to exposing the identities of, uh, of undercover covert agents. I mean, some very serious crimes were committed, you know, by George Bush and Dick Cheney and their henchmen. And Obama said, listen, we're not going to go back there. We're going to move together as a nation. We're going to tie 
up our you know our our wounds. We're gonna we're gonna move on. And, uh, and of course, Republicans, you know, were having none of it. I mean, they, you know, all they wanted to do was make trouble, and you know, there, there didn't seem to be they didn't take any responsibility for the damage they had caused. Had no interest in fixing anything. They just wanted to make the Democrats look bad. And so, I, I don't think Obama realized just how evil these people could be. Even though, you know, he'd been in the U.S. Senate for two years and in the Illinois Senate for eight years, but I don't think he realized just how evil and self-centered and power-hungry the Republicans are. You know, and that was a mistake. He uh, overestimated, you know, the patriotism of these people that, for the Republicans, their party comes well before uh, the nation. Yeah, party before country. So, the, it, yeah, it seems that it, he maybe made a mistake by not engaging in any investigations. But, but, Let's just put that all behind us. It was sort of like, instead of the Republicans saying, ah, oh, hey, this is a guy, he's a good guy. He wants to reach out and let bygones be bygones and let's move forward. And they're like, no, this guy is weak. He's weak. He's not, he's not investigating us. You know, uh, let's, uh, let's make as much trouble for him as possible. You know, there, there was no interest in trying to fix the country on the Republican side. It was simply to make trouble. Uh, and and, and w- what the shame is, is that Somehow, you know, the American people, you know, have kind of have have failed to recognize that, and um, and it's really a shame. It's really a shame, and, you know. And part of it is we really don't have any opinion shows from the left. I mean, you know, CNN is is pretty weak. There's not a whole lot coming out of there. Uh, there's MSNBC, which has a very small market share, and then you have Fox, which is this, you know, super fringe, extreme right. Uh, controlled, you know, media station that blares 24 hours. I mean, it's not just the opinion shows on Fox. It's everything. All the no, all the news shows are so biased and so far to the right that, and they're the number one news channel. So the American people have been, you know, exposed to these lies, and they've fallen prey to it as well. I mean, you can't let the American people off the hook. But certainly, certainly, no one can miss that. You know, these guys created this disaster by cutting taxes without making any kind of budget cuts. They cut taxes that mainly benefited the wealthy. And now they're, they're saying they're going to do the exact same thing that, that happened under Bush, where we had anemic growth despite these tax cuts that were supposed to stimulate the economy. And in the end, the economy collapsed. I, I, I just can't imagine, despite all the misrepresentation going on on the far right, how the American people could forget what happened barely, you know, 20 months ago. I mean, when, when, when Obama came into office, there were 750,000 jobs a month being lost. Yeah, it, I know. It inherited quite a mess. And there are also what, those numbers, those statistics you just gave or the, the uh, notions you just put out there, about, it, it's very self-evident that that sort of trickle-down uh, supply-side Reaganomics does not work. Does not, it, it does not work. And here, you know, here's the thing is, I, it, it makes sense to me when you say it. You say, you know, we're going to cut taxes for the wealthy, and the wealthy will invest money into the economy, and everybody, you know, will benefit. But, you know, here's the problem. You know, if you cut taxes for people who make over $250,000 a year, that doesn't mean that they're going to go and start a business or, you know, even put money in the bank, okay? What, what they discover is that when wealthy people have their taxes cut is they just hoard it. You know, they put it into securities or whatever, uh, but that does not stimulate the economy, does not create jobs when they buy mutual funds or whatever. Now, you know, people have a right to do with, you know, a right to do with their money whatever they want, but if you cut taxes with the idea that it's going to stimulate the economy, cutting taxes for the wealthy does not stimulate the economy, and I had economists on my show who said that the wealthy do not change their spending habits based on tax cuts. Absolutely. And, and if you just take it at the other end, and let's say, uh, let's talk about the minimum wage, which the Republicans never want to raise, and we actually have some Republicans running for the Senate now who want to eliminate the minimum wage, want sure. to make it legal to pay people $3 an hour. Right. So if somebody's making minimum wage, which is, I think the national is seven twenty-five an hour now, it's, it's somewhere in the seven range. Uh, if you raise that to, let's say, $10 an hour, I can guarantee you almost every bit 
of that extra uh, two seventy-five an hour is going to be spent. You're absolutely right, Robert. The money will go directly into the economy. That's because the middle class spend every single penny they've got because they need to just to get by. So whenever you give money to people in the middle class, it's going to go directly into the economy. It's going to buy food. It's going to buy gas. It's going to buy whatever. It's not going to be like wealthy people who are going to, you know, store the money in a mutual fund for the next 30 years and put it in their retirement account, that money does not go back into the economy, at least not directly. And that's why in the Bush years we saw these enormous tax cuts for the rich, and we should have seen a stimulation of the economy, but we did not. The growth during the Bush years from 2001 to 2006, and the 2006 date is significant because that was before the collapse, from 2001 to 2006, the growth in the economy, there was an expansion, but it was the weakest expansion in American history, 2001 to 2006. I mean, that's amazing when you think about it. Not only uh, was the, the expansion very slow, but despite those tax cuts, they did not contribute at all into improving the economy. And on top of it, George Bush was funding his illegal war in Iraq, tons of taxpayer money going to the economy. We still have the slowest government or the slowest economic expansion in post-World War II history. So, I mean, that is a, a condemnation of the idea that cutting taxes for the wealthy stimulates the economy. Definitely. Uh, this is Out the Rabbit Hole. KUCI in Irvine, Robert Larson here speaking with Will Bruzzo. He is the host of the political discussion show Hardline. Will, yeah, this uh, uh, this thing with the taxes and the, uh, the uh, cutting the taxes on the super wealthy, or you know, versus raising uh, uh, wages for the low income. It, it's, uh, I mean, I think the data is pretty good that it when is. you put that money around the bottom, it, it stimulates the economy more. There's, but, but, but who benefits from from uh, getting rid of the uh, from getting rid of the minimum wage? It's going to be the billionaires who own companies. That way, they can turn the United States into Mexico or India, and that they can pay people absolutely nothing, and they'll be living in hovels or huts with aluminum, you know, tin over the roof. You know, that's where those people who are currently running the Republican Party would direct this country given the opportunity. The whole reason we have minimum wage is because we want to guarantee people a certain standard of living. And believe me, whatever it is now, $10 an hour, whatever it is, it still isn't enough you know, by you know, e- even close to, to give people a decent standard of living, but at least it's something. So, you know, if you give these people uh, the leeway, they will turn America into a third-world country. I mean, can you imagine? Here we are in an economic crisis that's brought on by billionaires who are making a fortune, essentially making these uh, fraudulent loans to people who couldn't pay them back. The way that they rectify the situation is to punish the middle class and the poor by cutting things like... Uh, uh, the minimum wage, or they're talking about cutting Social Security, mm-hmm. or uh, you know Medicare and Medicaid. Here, they're punishing the poor for the disaster, the economic disaster created by the rich. It's just incredible, and the American people are going along with this. I mean, Sharon Engel, who's running for the Senate, a Tea Party favorite out of Nevada, she talked about getting rid of Social Security. I mean, the only people in Nevada are on Social Security, and here she's talking about getting rid of it or turning it into a, a private account. I mean, it's just incredible to me that these people even have a leg in the race, let alone the fact that they are, you know, that they may take over the House. It just makes no sense. Uh, yeah, I, I'm baffled by it. And, you know, recent polling has Sharon Angle neck and neck with Harry Reid. You know, it's, it's rather disturbing. And you, you mentioned all that extra money that millionaires and billionaires had because of the Bush tax cuts and how they didn't really invest it back into things to move our economy along they what they did do because they had so much extra money and so much more money than they knew what to do with they started engaging in the whole uh, wall street casino sure and that where we had the whole uh, uh, mortgage meltdown and all that because they were trying to f- they just had so much m- more money than they knew what to do with everyone's like hey put it in here and we'll yeah, yeah. give you this and that and and so they had to put together these crazy loans so people could have money to to bet on yeah. betting in this big casino so that was another problem of of giving too much money to the super wealthy and deregulating things so yeah it, it's it's just astonishing that people uh can forget so quickly 
how that all happened, you know, or just that people don't even understand how that happened. They just think I, it was a happenstance. I, you know, and one, some people say that I heard uh, Barney Frank, the Massachusetts representative, talking. He goes, I think Obama maybe made a mistake by not communicating to the American people just how serious this economic crisis was, you know, that, that this was, you know, an uh, utter collapse. And the Republicans, the Bush administration themselves, they admit the economy was on the verge of collapse when they went to the Congress to uh, to put together some, you know, the TARP program. Uh, so, you know, a, a lot of people don't realize this was bad. I mean, you know, unemployment during the Great Depression was 25%. It was over twice what we have now. Now we have about 9.5%. 25% unemployment. That's what happened back in, you know, the 1930s. And back then, Franklin Roosevelt tried to bail out the banks, and the Republicans wouldn't let him do it. And he tried to pass a stimulus package, and the Republicans wouldn't let him do it. So from 1929 all the way until 1945, we were in a, you know, in this depression situation, you know, and it wasn't until the war started. And then we, then the war, of course, became a $30 trillion stimulus plan that the economy finally finally turned around but people don't realize i think you're absolutely right what we went through why this happened and because uh, they're putting the party who got us into the mess right back into power you know scarcely 22 months after the democrats started to clean up the mess well and, yeah and the thing is that the republicans and are, are not giving a whole hell of a lot of specifics about what they are going to do when they get into power. What they have said, when you do get them to mention anything, they bring up these same crazy buzzwords that really are what got us into the mess, and that's deregulation and cutting taxes on the, on the rich. They, they say cutting taxes on everyone, but we all know it means mostly for the rich. And, uh, you know, and people just are forgetting that. And it's... Uh, you know, and I here's the other thing, Robert. Maybe you can help explain this to me. I mean, all the millions of Americans who depend on Social Security, you know, for their life, for you know, so that they eat, so that they have a roof over their heads. There are millions and millions of Americans who worked hard their entire lives, and you know, when it all came down to it, and they, you know, the kids grew up and left the house, they just didn't have a whole lot of money saved up. They didn't have a whole lot in you know securities or whatever. So basically, all all they have to get by is our Social Security. There are, you know, what, 20, 30, maybe 50 million Americans who depend on Social Security just to survive. Now, the Republican Party, Sharon Engel, uh, uh, Rand Paul out of uh, running Kentucky, uh, this the witch out of uh, out of <laughs> Delaware, O'Donnell, all of these people are talking about privatizing um, Social Security accounts and essentially doing away with Social Security, turning it all over to Wall Street because God knows we can trust them. I mean, <laughs> now you think that people would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, what, what if all my money's in a private account and then it collapses like it did in 2008, then what happens to all my retirement money? What happens to me? Well, the, the, the simple answer is they starve or they go homeless. Why aren't Americans more concerned about that? I, it, there's just been this real dumbing down of America and, and Fox News and the right-wing media is all part of it, but the, just that we spend less money on education. People are not able to think critically. People do not earn, uh, learn their history. People can't afford higher education in many cases. And it, the thing about Social Security, the right wing's been at this for a long time, and this comes out of the right wing think tanks. They've been pushing this notion that Social Security is in crisis, and it's not. It, right now, if we don't do anything, it's still good for 25 years, a quarter of a century. It's still good. Right. Okay, at that time, in a quarter of a century, okay, we're going to have to make some adjustments by then, or otherwise it, it will be in trouble. But it's good as is for 25 years. So we make some adjustments. Now, what they're talking about now, the, the Republicans are, well, we're going to need to cut the cost outlays. We're going to, uh, uh, monthly increases are not going to be allowed. People are going to have to retire at, at a... Uh, older age now but you never hear in the discussion even generally from democrats some very simple things we can do for instance removing the eighty thousand dollar limit right now people pay in the social security tax up to eighty thousand dollars anything after that is not taxed 
Mm. Why don't we remove that? Maybe yeah. not even all the way. Just maybe we go up to 150000 There's a bunch more money coming into the system. Right. Uh, why don't we think about maybe means testing? Does a billionaire really need to collect Social Security? True. I mean, you know, it, it, it's... <laughs> it, oh, now, you know, on that one, I would I have a problem with that because, uh, you know, it is taken out of our paychecks for our Social Security, and, uh, you know, we pay every year into it, and I'm self-employed, so, you know, a certain amount of my income go in, goes into that every year that it has every year that I've worked. So I'd want that back, <laughs> you know, even though it may not be a whole lot of money, by God, I want it back, even if I'm a billionaire. Now, I've seen some people who are extremely wealthy kind of just waive the right to it, which, you know, you can do. Well, I see, I'm thinking it, we maybe need to think about it differently. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Though, but the, the, as like an insurance type of thing, so you collect it when you need it. There's right. ma- there are many things that we all pay into the general pool. We all pay taxes for things that we don't use. True. Those of us who don't have kids, we're not using the schools. That's true. And so it's like, okay, you know, you can get your money, but if, if you know, you're over a certain amount, you know, maybe we can think about it. It may that. be something that you're right, because at some point it would seem kind of ludicrous for someone who's making millions to be getting, you know, their 1500 a month from Social Security. So Right, you yeah. know, and we all pay into unemployment. Do we, many of us never use it. Yeah. Uh, or yeah, or welfare, anything, uh, food stamps, any of those programs, yeah. You know, so it's just something to think. But it's almost like, well, with this, it's different. You need to get all that back. It's just something to think about. I, I think I can understand the controversy more with that. But as far as raising the amount, it's like, why are uh, people making eighty thousand or less, paying more, a higher percentage of their uh, wages into Social Security than people that make more than that. Yeah, you're right. That doesn't make any sense. And that's just the way, that's that's something that needs to be looked at, but everybody's afraid to, even even the Democrats. Hey, hey the, you just brought up something that reminded me. Do you, do you remember when Obama was trying to extend unemployment mm-hmm. uh, insurance by oh, yeah. like 99 weeks, whatever it was? The Republicans, you know the Republicans voted against that in the Senate and in the House? They voted against extending unemployment benefits. Can, can, can you believe that? Now, that is the, that's the biggest infusion, a direct infusion of cash into the economy, because the minute those unemployed people get the money, they're going to spend it, because they got to get by. They're just barely surviving on their unemployment. But that shows you how mean-spirited, how, how completely irresponsible these Republicans are, whether they just, they just hate people who are unemployed, or they just didn't want to do, have anything to do with looking like they were cooperating with the, with the Democrats at all, I don't know. But that just shows you what caliber of people we're dealing with in the Republican Party. They would even extend unemployment benefits to people who had lost their jobs because of the incompetence of the Bush administration. It just doesn't, it's just crazy. Uh, and and the, I just again don't understand. I mean, we talked about this a little, but now it's uh, we're up against the clock here. I do not understand why the Democrats are not putting out more ads saying, "Look, we're here for you. We're helping people on unemployment." Here's exactly what the Republicans did. They would not vote to extend unemployment benefits. Put be putting this into ads right now. Yeah. Well, we still got time left before this election. You know, and maybe they've done some polling and it doesn't come across well. I, you know. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, Governor Rendell, I think he's of Pennsylvania, he called Democrats wussies because um, he said that they shouldn't have, they should have been, you know, um, talking up the positive things that people like about the health care bill, like you can't turn away people for pre-existing conditions, you can't terminate people when they get sick, you know, all the shenanigans that the insurance industry would play with people, um, you know, that they should have been playing those up. So, you know, I, I'm assuming that they have run polls on that, and any mention of health care is just is, is, is just considered a very negative thing, which is crazy when you think about it, because in the U.S. we we have the least coverage of any industrialized nation, and yet we pay more per capita. Clearly, we need the health care reform. I don't see why the American people look at it so negatively. I think many people just don't have the time or the inclination to really inform themselves about things, either they don't care or they're just working two and three jobs or to trying to make ends meet and don't have the time. Yeah. And uh, that gap is filled by right-wing radio, which you can be 
anywhere, just about anywhere in the country, turn on your AM radio, uh, not have to scan very far, and you'll pick up a right-wing radio station that's syndicating Rush or Hannity or Beck or one of these people just telling you all that stuff. Or you can just get home, Fox News comes on, and it's just right there. You don't have to think about anything while you're eating your ice cream or whatever you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's just... Uh, People are, for, for, to a certain degree, people are lazy, but I think people are tired because people are working so much harder to make yeah. ends meet. But, but then you think they would vote for people who are concentrating on making their lives better. Uh, you know, it doesn't take a genius to realize that cutting taxes for the wealthy, it's not going to help the, the regular person, okay? I mean, you know, Bush... The Bush administration, the only thing that they did was cut taxes. And, you know, they have the weakest economic record of, of any, you know, administration since the Great Depression. So, you know, you think people would realize that and vote accordingly. Uh, yeah, I know. It, it's just, but I think they are, even if you don't watch Glenn Beck or you don't listen to Rush Limbaugh, a lot of other people do, and yeah. they pass that information around, and it just gets passed around, and it gets passed around as if it's conventional wisdom. Yeah, and, you know, m- m- my theory on it is you have people like Rush Limbaugh, Sarah Palin, these kind of folks, and they they make these statements which everybody likes to hear, like cutting taxes is a great thing because people want to hear that. No more government, you know, and it sounds great and all this sort of thing. So a lot of folks kind of cling to these very simplistic notions of how economic works or how government works or how the world works, and they cling to these things because they reinforce what they already think or, you know, they reinforce what their philosophy already is. And so, you know, in the end, they don't do, as you stated before, any critical thinking about it or look to see, well, what does recent history show us about what happens when there's, when there's tax cuts? You know, does it help the economy? You know, so there's a, there's a real failure of people to look at things, you know, analytically and, uh, and make decisions because right now, you know, a lot of these Republicans voting Republican and voting for Republican candidates are cutting their own throats. They're cutting their own throats by voting Republican because these they're going to go right back to the Bush, you know, the Bush years, cutting taxes for the wealthy and this sort of thing. And the only thing standing between, you know, uh, a prosperous America and one that looks more like India or Mexico is, is Barack Obama. Yeah, and this this discussion about the economy, I think it's like when you watch, say, Glenn Beck, what he does is he makes things very simple. Right. They're not accurate or valid, but they're very simple. Very simple to follow. And you're if you're tired and don't have time to read, you you know things are bad. You want a simple answer. And and he provides them, and the rest of Fox News provide. You know, here's the thing: it seems counterintuitive that during a depression, the government would spend a ton of money to get us out of a depression. You think, well, why would you spend more money when we don't have any to get us out of a depression? I understand that, but all you have to do is turn to what happened uh, in in World War II. What happened? We were in a depression, so the government didn't have a whole lot of money, so they went into all this huge deficit spending because they had no choice. They were defending the nation, and it was a $30 trillion influx, you know, over 30 times what the stimulus bill was in 2009. $30 trillion went into the economy, and that's what it took to get us out of of the Great Depression. So if people, you know, could look at it that way and look to see the history that we're all very familiar with as Americans going into the American school system, then I think that they might have an idea that, you know, it sounds counterintuitive, but, you know, the only way to get the economy going is to put liquid money into the economy, get people lending, buying, starting businesses, and eventually the economy catches on again. This is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. Robert Larson here speaking with Will Bruzzo, and he is the host of the political discussion show Hardline. The, uh, yeah, I, I think it's like an analogy might be that when you go to college, a lot of people end up borrowing a lot of money to go to college, and that would seem, on the face of it, well, wait a minute, you're not making any money. Why are you taking on all this debt? Right. But the thing is, you're doing this as part of a plan to improve yourself, 
and down the road you're going to be making more money and you can pay that back. You're, you're investing in yourself, absolutely. You know, um, it, it, it's funny you should say that because you know I went to an expensive private school and I went to law school, and I, I you know had huge, huge debt. And there was many years when you know I kind of had to stagger payments month to month because I couldn't, you know, I just didn't have enough money to pay for. It. I barely had any money left over for food. But over time, you know, I was able to to make more money. Then I started my own business, and you know. In the end, it pays off. But you're right; it, it, it's an investment. Similarly, you know, in, in a Great Depression situation, you need to get things going, and so you go into some debt for a while. It's, it's an unpleasant feeling, but this is what all the economists say, and what history teaches us is the right thing to do, as counterintuitive as it may be. Well, you take somebody like Paul Krugman, Nobel Prize-winning economist. And he explains this. You read his book or read one of his columns, and he explains this. But it, and he actually said that the problem with the Obama stimulus is that it wasn't large enough. And Ben Bernanke, who's a Republican and head of the Fed right now, appointed by Bush, he said the stimulus bill wasn't big enough. He wanted another two hundred billion. So here, you know, there's really no debate on these issues from either side of the aisle. Alan Greenspan thinks that we should uh, do away with the Bush tax cuts for the wealthy. He doesn't think we should extend them. He says we can't afford them. Alan Greenspan, the very guy who pushed for them. Ben Bernanke thinks we should have had a bigger stimulus package. You know, Krugman, who's on the left, you know, they're all, they're all basically saying the same things, but you wouldn't know it because, uh, you know, Sarah Palin, who, you know, who, who who's not only formally uneducated, but informally, doesn't read, doesn't has never read a book, is clueless. She's the one who's advising, you know, the, the, the Republican Party, and that's who the Republicans are listening to, and this half-witted person. Yeah, and then they're listening to the, the right-wing think tanks, which are a little more sophisticated. They're putting out nonsense, but what they do is they... They selectively choose data. They selectively uh, engage in studies. They, they, they engage in studies that they know are going to create an answer that they already want. It's, it's really sort of non-scientific, but it, it sounds prestigious because they, they attach professors to it and people with uh, titles after their name and all of that. But they have preordained uh, sort of uh, answers that they want to get, and that then many of these people on the right, they're quoting things from these right-wing think tanks, which are funded by huge corporations and billionaires, and they, they have a very specific agenda, which is uh, creating and maintaining an oligarchy in the U.S., and, and you know, and that's the other thing that's sad to me. Here you have these poor Tea Party people, not the most sophisticated folks. A lot of the time, you know, here they they want to break out of the Washington, you know, what they see as, as this this uh, Washington club. Where everyone, you know, pats each other's back, and you know. No one's looking out for the interests of the people. And here, the people funding them, this Crossroads, GPS, Carl Rose Group, it's basically three billionaires who are putting out all this negative advertising. And, and you know, there, then there's other groups, uh, Americans for Prosperity, which is the, uh, the insurance industry, who are putting all these negative ads out. Of course, it's all under these secret names, all this secret funding. You know, and so they're all promoting these, these, uh, these, these uh, um, Tea Party candidates, just using these people. Um, and then the end, you know who's going to win? It's going to be uh, the billionaires, and uh, the middle class is going to get hit hard. And a lot of these Tea Party types are middle class people, and they're not sophisticated enough to realize they're being had. Yes, it's quite sad. And, and you're familiar with the the seventy five million dollars the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is spending. Oh, uh, most of the, they're just criminals. These people, unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, it's terrible. Uh, getting back to the some of the things that. Obama and the Democrats should have been sort of saying all along that, and that their standing in the polls might be a little better now, is that I uh, was, what made me think of this is I was reading something on, uh, it's actually on Bloomberg last night, and it was talking about the, the Wall Street bailouts and how that this has really been successful. And you would never know it listening to, to the right-wing media or even mainstream media. And the government has actually made a profit on TARP. I heard that. And uh, in about two-thirds of it uh, has already been paid back. All right. And then the, the auto bailouts were also successful. General Motors is back on track. Uh, it, it, it's, it's making a profit, and it's employing, you know, millions of people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been an enormous success. I mean, here's the other thing. In the state of Michigan, they should be voting Democrat across the board. 
because not one Republican wanted that auto bailout. Michigan is the auto industry, okay? It is the auto industry. There would be no General Motors but for Obama stepping in and said, no, we're going to save those jobs. They did it over the Republican objections. It turned out to be an enormous success. There's still a General Motors. There's still a Chrysler. There's still all that, all those jobs. All those people have money to support themselves and their families, and that was over the Republican Party. There shouldn't be one vote for a Republican in the state of Michigan, and yet there is. I mean, there's Republican candidates in Michigan uh, who uh, who may win over Democrats. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I think the problem is, you know, we've mentioned some other things, but I think one of the problems is right now is that, okay, yeah, we can all agree uh, Obama's policies saved General Motors, saved a lot of jobs, but the fact is that we still have a pretty high unemployment rate now, right now. People don't want to hear, well, if Obama hadn't done this, the unemployment rate right now might be like 18%. Or 25%. They, they, you know, they, they, just want it, they just see that it's still like right around 10%, and you know, that's not good. Right. And they, they don't... And you and I can explain this, and Paul Krugman can explain it. Maybe we can't put it into quick sound bites like Glenn Beck. And that's sort of a problem. But we can explain that this took time to get into this mess. It was a lot of policies created by the Republican-controlled Congress, by George W. Bush. And uh, we've had in the White House, Obama, less than two years. You've got to give this a little time. We brought it bra- back from the brink of disaster. Still not good, but we didn't have the, the complete meltdown, the full depression. Right. Uh, but... it. <laughs> You, that's just not as easy to put into a soundbite no. as you know, and, and, Obama's and, and, a socialist. Yeah, exactly. You know, and saying, "Hey, things could have been worse." People don't want to hear that. It just doesn't doesn't have any effect on them. You know, PP. You know, it, it helps if you personify people's pain. If you can say, "Well, the reason that we're in this problem is because you know this economic meltdown doesn't mean a whole thing a lot to them." But if you can say it's Obama's fault, you point to somebody. You know, I, I think that I think that that's a, a, an effective way to get people all riled up. And, you know, it's much easier for them to be angry at something tangible as opposed to some broad economic theory why, why things are bad. Here's the interesting story. I was talking to a friend of mine who's, who's, who's a kind of right-wing but a nice guy. And, uh, you know, he, he wants to blame the government for the economic meltdown. And I, I tried to explain to him. I said, well, how, how is the government responsible? And he goes, well, they were, you know, making loans. I go, yeah, and actually the government doesn't make any loans. Fannie and Freddie Mac never made any direct loans. They guaranteed loans, and they securitized things. But the, the ones making the loans were a country ride right out of Irvine. You know, you know, all the banks were making loans to people who couldn't pay them back. But it seems like on, on the right wing, there's very little mention of, of the private sector having any responsibility. Somehow they, they transport all the blame onto the government, which is just ludicrous. I mean, the, the head of Goldman Sachs, the head of Bank of America, the head of Citigroup, they all testified in Congress. They all took responsibility for the economic meltdown, saying that they made mistakes. They were loaning the money to people who couldn't pay it back, all this sort of thing. They took responsibility, yet despite that, uh, the Republicans want to let them off the hook, and they want to blame the government, even though none of those people hauled in front of the Congress blame the government. They all blame themselves. I know. Well, and here's the thing, though. Your right-wing friend, um, <laughs> I actually agree with in a certain sense, let me make this clear, that there, there is some fault with the government, but it's not because of anything the government did. It's because of the things the government didn't do that the government deregulated right. and let those financial entities behave as sharks. Right. And, 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 and exactly. And, you know, there was a failure to regulate. You know, and, and Bill Clinton was the one who signed the, the, the repudiation of the, of the Glass-Steagall Act, which, which separated, you know, uh, Banks from um, you know uh, you know brokers like securities brokers. Then all of a sudden, banks could invest, deposit our money in their own securities, and so it broke down that what they they call like a Chinese wall. Um, you know, and, and 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 which caused all these problems because then banks had an incentive to take their depositors' money and put them into securities, uh, effectively risking their depositors' funds. Uh, you know, and so that that was Bill Clinton who signed that into laws. It was a Republican 
Republican-led act, uh, but they was signed into law by Bill Clinton. Robert Rubin was his Treasury Secretary, who then went on to become head of Citigroup. You know, so there, there's you know there's definitely blame uh, to go around, but there's no question it was the greed of the private sector that got us here. It, you know, and if anything, it was you know the, the government turning a blind eye, not regulating enough. But get, get this. The Republicans voted against the financial regulation. They unanimously voted against the financial regulation. Maybe one or two Republican senators voted for it. That guy from Massachusetts, I think, felt the heat and voted for it. But I mean, so I mean, these Republicans—it's just incredible. I mean, well, you know, wait, they don't want to—they don't want to regulate the financial institutions. Yet they don't want to cut taxes. They want these huge deficits to continue to rise. Then they want to cut off, you know, uh, unemployment benefits for the poor. They want to cut Medicare. They want to cut uh, uh, Social Security. I mean, these people are really pieces of work. <laughs> well, here's the difference between the right-wingers and, and, and liberals and progressives, is that we are saying that, okay, it's the big corporations, they're responsible for this, but also government is responsible for the, the fact that they deregulated things. And we're able to say, you know, that was the Republican-led Congress. But we're also willing to take responsibility for a Democrat, Bill Clinton, signing off on that. Sure. We will admit he didn't do the right thing. He shouldn't have signed that. He should right. have vetoed it. Yeah, well, here's the other thing. is that He actually could not veto it because uh, it had 92 senators signed up. So they would have overridden his veto. So it's technicality. He could have made a stink about it. It, he didn't, and, and, and if the Securities and Exchange Commission under Bush, who was Chris Cox out of Newport Beach, if he had been paying more attention, then maybe we could have avoided all this. And Greenspan too. I mean, there's blame to go around. Um, so you know, perhaps if they had controlled this stuff better, or kept kept an eye on what the private sector was doing, we could have avoided the whole thing. Right, right. But then I see so much from from the right where they just uh, <laughs> they will not admit to to any mistakes that that Bush made in all of this. No, and, of course uh, not. And we want to bring all these Republicans back who are part of the same team that got us there. And it's all like people forgot all about Tom Delay and Jack Abramoff. That was just what four years ago. And it's all of these same characters, Boehner and these people that all had ties with the uh, yeah, delay. Well, absolutely. Not only that, but you got to remember, I mean, Bush had the, owned the Congress until 2006. It wasn't in 2006 that he, you know, the Democrats took over. So the first six years of his administration, they, they ran all three houses, I believe. Um, so it doesn't make any sense to me. Hey, Robert, let me ask you a question here. This is something that kind of has vexed me, and I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm off on this or not. You know, when Obama originally got elected, I, I really felt that we had officially turned a corner when it came to race in this country. And then we saw the town halls blow up, and we saw the Tea Partyers marching with signs that Obama dressed in African tribal gear with a bone through his nose, and and, and, and you know, and all this all this sort of stuff. I really believe that part of this irrational anger directed toward the Democrats and Obama is racist. I, I think that their racism plays a lot bigger part in this whole political debate than uh, anyone will admit. And I, you know, I have friends across the political spectrum who, um, you know, people who I previously thought were pretty good people, but just sending me emails of the most vile, racist nature, um, you know, every day. And they think nothing of it, and they think it's funny, and some of them are not even apologetic about how they feel about it. You know, we saw in Virginia, the governor of Virginia had a national or um, uh, Confederacy Appreciation Day with no mention of slavery because the Sons of the Confederacy, a, you know, far-right white supremacist group, you know, essentially wanted him to have this Confederacy Appreciation Day. They, meant, they did not mention slavery, and it wasn't until a national uproar, and then all the black people who had voted for the Virginia governor said, hey, dude, you can't, you know, ignore slavery. You know, there's, you know, a half a million of Virginia residents are the descendants of slaves. How can you ignore this? So I, I think that there is racism that's running through this, and part of, you know, the visceral dislike of Obama is racist in nature. What do you think about that? I, I tend to agree. I, you know, America has this very dark shadow. It's got this history, and there's racism and uh, the extermination of the Indians and all of these kinds of things. And, and there just is this stuff has just been their slavery, all of that. And 
we've done away with a lot of that on the surface, but it's that shadow is still there, that unrestrained id, that negative ego, that w- something that it just it takes certain things to stoke it. And people people will take advantage of that. And I think these people funding the Tea Party, they know that. And they're doing things to stoke all of that. It's always there. And it's all fear-based. It's all fear-based. Racism is not rational. It's about, it's just fear of the other. Right. And, and the, the shorthand for that is just fear. And people find ways to manipulate that. Well, and, well like Karl Rove, when, when Bush was running against McCain back in 2000, he did, you know, probably, this has to be the most scum thing that was ever done in American politics. John McCain and his wife, her name's Cindy or Candy or something, um, they adopted a child from Bangladesh who, of course, has dark skin. And so if you see a picture of the McCain family, they have, you know, everyone is Caucasian, except you see this the, the young girl, I think her name is Bridget, who has dark skin. And so she was adopted by John McCain's wife from Bangladesh. So uh, Carl Rove sent out an email or some, something saying that this adopted daughter was John McCain's love child from relation, an interracial relationship, okay? Yeah. Well, so he knew that was guaranteed to stoke racist in certain parts of the country. And, you know, and so that's what he did. And, you know, Bush ended up winning narrowly over, over John McCain. So there's no question that racism can be manipulated. And, you know, someone like, uh, like Carl Rove, who's once again a leader in the Republican Party and, and has absolutely no conscience or boundaries whatsoever, uh, and did you know that Carl Rove was also thrown out of George Bush, uh, the first, the father George Bush's mm-hmm. campaign for essentially for misconduct? Yeah. This guy's a scum bag scumbag okay and he's still there he's a hero he's a hero to the republican party okay uh so you know he's not above manipulating uh, race and i think racism uh to an extent helps republicans get elected it's sad to say and i mean and it goes back to the southern strategy with nixon and this way of just uh just taking advantage of and manipulating those those fears that are right under the surface of people who have not worked out all of their insecurities. And uh, it's just sad to say, and it's there. So we're just about out of time. Uh, Will, real quick, you want to give any sort of prognostication on the election? Well, I mean, you know, the, uh, the pundits say that, uh, you know, it's, there's a good chance that Dems will lose the House. But um, we've got to get out there and vote. I mean, the, the, the country's future is at stake. All of our future is at stake. I, I think that the, the Democrats could hold the House. Um, it's going to come down individual, uh, you know, races. And I, I think that the Democrats can hold the House. Um, they, we just, they, the Democrats have to get have to be motivated the way they were in 2008. Listen, life's not tough. The Republicans put us in one hell of a hole. We can dig our way out of it, but, you know, obviously we can't do it with these obstructions, Republicans in power. So people need to get out there and vote, whether it's in Orange County or, you know, across the nation, because there's still a lot of work to be done, and these Republicans are not going to be part of the helping team. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm predicting uh, it's going to be very close in the House. The the Republicans may be able to take it. I, I hope not, but it's it. Either way, I think it's going to be close to fifty fifty. Uh, whoever prevails in the Senate, I think the the Dems will end up with about fifty two, fifty three seats. I, I it looks like Jerry Brown's going to probably win the governor's he's race. Surging, until, he's surging. He's yeah. surging over Meg Ryan. No, she spent one hundred forty million dollars. Meg Whitman. Uh, Meg Whitman. Let's I'm not sorry. insult Meg Ryan. <laughs> But, yeah, okay, uh, um, your show will hardline on AM 8.30 Sundays? Sundays at 7. Okay, well, thanks a lot for being with Robert, us today. thanks for having me. really enjoyed it. Okay. I hey, you- love your show. Always a big fan. Likewise. Take care. All right, my friend. Oh, yeah, okay. All right, Will Brozo, thanks a lot for being with us today. And uh, once more, I'll remind you, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. You want to give me some feedback on the show? I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at KUCI.org. You can also catch me on Facebook, facebook.com slash rglarson. Uh, podcasts of past shows you can find at KUCI.org slash talk. Scroll down to Out the Rabbit Hole. All right, we've got about two minutes, one or two minutes here, before we got to turn it over to Matt Kaplan, who will be presenting to you Counterspin and Planetary Radio. Always excellent 
early Thursday evening programming. So this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, also on the web at KUCI.org. Robert Larson saying, I'll be talking to you next week.